0: from KQED.
1: AQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, more federal law enforcement officers are headed to Portland, as protests there have gained momentum. That's despite calls from local and state leaders for federal agents to leave, saying they've made the situation there worse and civil rights lawsuits over federal tactics. We learn more from reporters with Oregon Public Broadcasting. Then tomorrow, the tech industry's most powerful leaders, Apple's Tim Cook, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, Google's Sundar Pichai, and for the first time, Amazon's Jeff Bezos will testify before Congress over potential antitrust violations. We'll preview the hearing. That's all next on Forum, after this news. This is Forum, I'm Mina Kim. Portland's mayor and five other big city mayors asked Congress Monday to make it illegal to deploy militarized federal agents to cities that don't want them. Oregon's leaders and Portland officials say the actions of federal agents have escalated the violence on city streets. But the Trump administration is now expected to send more federal officers to Portland and has threatened to send them to other cities, including here in Oakland. We take a closer look at what's happening in Portland with Oregon Public Broadcasting reporters Rebecca Ellis, City Hall reporter for Oregon Public Broadcasting. Thanks so much for joining us, Rebecca Ellis. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Jonathan Levinson, multimedia reporter and producer for Oregon Public Broadcasting. Thanks for being with us as well, Jonathan Levinson.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: So first, Jonathan, what can you tell us about what you know about these plans for additional federal agents?
2: Uh, I mean, not much. We know that some of them, what we've been told is some of them are coming, rotate out people who have been here and are, you know, tired. Um, And what officials have told us is that they also need additional help, that You know, protesters are learning and adapting and their original tactics are no longer working. And so they need extra bodies and extra assistance to uh, to address it.
1: We've been hearing uh, the Department of Homeland Security, CBP officials saying that they are going to be sending additional personnel. Many different news outlets have been reporting from various internal emails that they've gotten their hands on. But they're saying that the additional personnel may not result in a net increase, meaning that they're going to basically refresh troops.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's been some uh, some corrections issue like, <laughs> from, the, from the government issued since yesterday. Um, we haven't heard any any new updates to what we initially reported yesterday.
1: And I mean, Rebecca Ellis, this is despite calls from city leaders for these federal agents to leave and as well as the civil rights lawsuits and these appeals to Congress to stop the Trump administration from sending more officers. I mean, what's the reaction there in Portland that basically they're saying, we're not listening to you.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've seen, okay, it's been the mayor, everyone on the city council, the governor, uh, everyone says we don't want or need the help from these federal officers. And they've been pretty clear that they want them to leave the city. Um, but they've also been really clear that their hands are tied, um, and these officers have jurisdiction here. They're allowed to guard their property. Um, and, I mean, the, the mayor has asked the city attorney to to look into it and see if there's any actions the city can take to try and get these um, federal officers to leave. But right now, um, they really don't know what their what their path forward is.
1: Because basically the argument, Jonathan Levinson, is that things have really changed and not changed for the better since this federal presence. Can you tell us what it's been like since they arrived?
2: I mean, I think it's, it's important to be clear that the tactics federal law enforcement are using are very similar to what the Portland police were using. Um, they are responding to large groups of mostly nonviolent protesters. Um, there are people in the crowd that are doing things like throwing water bottles. Um, there are sometimes small fires that are set of like, you know, piles of garbage or cardboard. Um, there are there are things that there are protesters that that, you know, recently fi- firing fireworks has become uh, a little bit more in vogue with the protesters. So there, there, there is there's there's more than simply throwing water bottles. But you're talking about a crowd of you know, many hundreds to, it's on some nights, many thousands who are gathered and the overwhelming majority are nonviolent and they are responding with uh, really significant levels of violence. I mean, the tear gas, but also impact munitions cause severe injuries and they have shot a number of people now in the head and caused injuries, you know, and and in the chest and legs, but caused really severe injuries a number of times. Um, So what the federal law enforcement officers have done is more of that Um, my personal observations on the ground, it seems like there's just a, they're a little bit more violent in the way they act and the way they, they respond to protesters. Um, but their, their presence in general has just been seen as a provocation and has really galvanized the city, um, and re-energized the protest movement that had been, you know, most nights it was down in the low, in the low hundreds.
1: And Rebecca Ellis, you yourself were actually injured when you were trying to cover the protests. That tape that we played in the intro is actually tape that you <laughs> gathered from a video. And that ow that we hear at the end there is when something struck your hand. Can you tell us what happened?
0: I thought that that ow sounded familiar. Um, <laughs> I, um, Yeah, no, that was uh, all the nights blur together. That was last week, I think Wednesday or Thursday. And I actually went out because I was interested in, um, a federal judge had just issued a temporary restraining order against the federal officers, saying they couldn't, um, basically couldn't target or use force against people they know or should know were journalists or legal observers, um, and they also couldn't order them to disperse. And I was sort of curious how that was going to play out, um, so I went and was sort of covering it. And then around 2 a.m. No, maybe it was a little earlier. But anyway, early in the early morning the next day, the federal officers were sort of moving um, through the area near the courthouse to disperse protesters. And as they walked up, they shot, um, I really don't know what it was. It might've been a tear gas canister or something else. Um, and it just hit my hand while I was filming. Um, I'm totally fine. But that's that was what that owl was in the video. Um, and then they sort of ordered us to disperse. Um, so that so yeah, was, was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, that was my next question. If your hand is is okay. Totally fine. The glad, most fine.
0: <laughs>
1: glad to hear that it was. But it sounds like you were trying to see if this judge's order would in some way maybe uh, result in them being less indiscriminate in terms of who they were uh, yeah, trying to pull back and, and, and to be yes. clear,
0: like, I don't know. I don't know that they knew that 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 restraining order is for people who they know or should know is a journalist. And I was kind of far away at that point. So I have I have no idea if they knew I was a journalist. Um, But the thing that that was also interesting was when they were ordering all these journalists to disperse along with the protesters, um, which under the restraining order, they are definitely not supposed to be doing. Mm. Um, yeah.
1: And definitely, Jonathan Levinson, I mean, a major flashpoint, um, and it sounds like a a galvanizing event for protesters in Portland, was reporting that uh, you and Oregon Public Broadcasting had done about these officers basically pulling protesters into unmarked vans. Can you talk about what effect uh, that story had on the general understanding of what's happening in Portland?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it just called attention to the to an issue that I think protesters on the ground every night saw happening and saw evolving over time. This escalation from federal law enforcement. Um, But I think that just highlighted it to a wider audience that um, that they were here, they were on city streets policing Portland uh, in a way that I think shocked a lot of people. Um, for some of us who have been watching it develop over time and I'm actually going to steal an observation from one of the freelancers here, Tuck Woodstock. Um, I I touched on this earlier. There'd been this, you know, it was a continuation of what the Portland police had been doing and there'd been this just slow, steady escalation over the weeks. And so for some of us, when we saw these videos of the vans, it was like, oh, okay, this looks bad, but you know, like, yeah, that's been, that's what's been going on. Uh, And it wasn't really until we published that story and I, I, Saw the backlash that it it clicked. Just how um, just how bad it looked, and just how you know how much of a potential overstep it was, and how uh, shocking it was to see that happening on a, a city street.
1: Well, I want to invite our listeners to join the conversation. We have Jonathan Levinson with us, multimedia reporter and producer for Oregon Public Broadcasting, and Rebecca Ellis, City Hall reporter for Oregon Public Broadcasting, talking about the federal law enforcement presence and ongoing protests in Portland, and really on the ground, attending these protests, talking with local leaders. So what are your questions for them? Give us a call 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also reach just on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And Michael tweets, there are plenty of places to demonstrate in downtown Portland besides the federal buildings. Vandalizing those buildings gave Trump his excuse to intervene. Why isn't local law enforcement directing the protests away from the courthouse? Um, Rebecca Ellis, do you want to take a stab at that?
0: Um I, I mean, the, the courthouse just becomes such a, a symbol. Um, I mean, for the federal officers and right next to it is um, where the police are and that has was where the protests were staged for nearly two months. Um, so I think uh, for so many protesters, it has become a symbol of what they're protesting against. Um, I, I mean, there are, there are protests that go on throughout the day in other parts of the city. Um, I think that's important to know that these protests are co- occurring throughout the day um, but yeah, it's just become such a symbol. I can't really imagine them shifting. Um, what about you, Jonathan?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I do the, what you just said, there are protests happening throughout the city. There is this image of Portland as a city under siege, and that is absolutely not what is happening. There's a few isolated blocks downtown around the federal courthouse. And, you know, the reason the courthouse is one of the the epicenters is that right next door is the Multnomah County Justice Center. And that is where the police headquarters are, that's where the county jail is. And that was the original uh, center of the protests. And so once the federal law enforcement officer showed up, it was a very easy shift to just go you know, 100 feet to the left and start protesting there. So the focus of the protests, the the underlying issues that they're protesting about have not changed. Um, there's just a, a different building they're, they're currently standing in front of.
1: And it sounds like, Jonathan, that you have been able to talk with people familiar with internal discussions among the feds, that they're worried that their presence is really not helping the situation. I mean, what did you learn?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have a whole lot more to add than what we reported yesterday, but, you know, there's an acknowledgement, there's a realization that their presence has has had the effect that it objectively has had, right? Like I said, they went from protests nightly in the you know low hundreds, even even like in the eighties, nineties, some nights, um, to this past weekend there was some by some estimates four to five thousand people out on the streets. So, um, and that is a straight line from federal law enforcement arriving in the city to that. So. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they recognize what their presence has done here.
1: And so even with that recognition, though, I mean, it sounds like you're saying that this consternation is actually internal among federal law enforcement. Right. And, and even with that, it doesn't sound like, though, that there's a change in tactics when you have basically these reports that these troops are going to be replenished at the very least.
2: Uh, y- yes. I, I don't, I don't uh, write policy, <laughs> but yes, that is, that is what we, what we are told.
1: Well, Len asks, do we know who the violent demonstrators are? And he, or Len puts demonstrators in quotes and also asks, is there any evidence that they are plants? Rebecca Ellis?
0: Um, I have seen no evidence that they are plants. I mean, the, the violent demonstrators, who I assume is what that's referring to are, probably those people that are chucking the water bottles late at night who are, like Jonathan Jonathan said, shooting fireworks, lighting small fires. Um, um, I mean, I think that they are protesters along with everyone else, um, just demonstrating in a different way. I, I have seen no evidence of plants. I don't know if Jonathan's seen anything different.
1: Jonathan, anything uh, different?
2: I I I, there, I I don't think there are plants. I mean, no. I, I, I there's no evidence of that that I am aware of. Um, and, and in terms of the violent demonstrators, you know, like I said, there there are isolated cases. Um, there have been people have thrown rocks, uh, according to the police. Um, I think one person was arrested uh, swinging a hammer at a federal law enforcement officer, and certainly, you know, that is that is violence. Um, I think it's very tempting for us to characterize vandalism or property destruction as violence and it's important to differentiate the two i mean whether or not someone looks at that and says that that is a productive way to protest is is maybe debatable um but it's not violence and it is being met with extraordinary violence
1: well there have been some reports of in protests in other cities where people who have who have come into the protests were not necessarily people who were there to either protest police brutality or demand changes to police use of force, but were either part of white nationalist groups or other groups like that. So I think that he's wondering if that's who may be committing some of the more violent or extreme acts during the yeah. protests.
2: I mean, we certainly have no shortage of, I mean, there, there have been plenty of, uh, sort of street protests between uh, left-wing and right-wing groups that have have turned violence at at times in the past. But we have not seen those groups show up or get involved in these protests at all.
1: And, you know, that leads me to my next question, which is from your vantage point, right? As local news reporters, what do you feel like national news outlets are either getting wrong or missing about the situation there? Because certainly a lot more have come Especially after your reporting on on the unmarked vans and that action by federal law enforcement officers,
0: um, I think I think Jonathan hit the biggest one that I think is annoying to us who who live in Portland is the city under siege image that literally all of Portland is on fire and there are fireworks, tear gas spreading across the entire city. It is really limited to this two block area downtown. Um, I, that's the biggest thing that annoys me about the. Sort of national coverage is just people think my parents think Portland's on on fire, um, and it's a it's a very small area. Well,
1: you know, related to the question that we got earlier about how the the targeting of federal buildings gave Trump sort of a a reason or an excuse to intervene. Does it enter at all into protesters' minds that the Trump campaign, for example, has been using images of the protesters in campaign ads or ways to incite? insight fear and basically say that Democrats are unable or unwilling to deal with chaos and that really only Trump will keep them safe. Do you know if that at all is part of the discussion, Jonathan Levin? I think
2: think that actually highlights perfectly. One of the things that I think have has bothered uh, people on the ground here about how the what the narrative has been is it which is that the protests have you know lost their focus or that they aren't they're no longer about the Black Lives Matter movement or about uh, you know um, against police brutality and systemic racism and protesters here have been focused and have that has been their cause the whole time and so are they aware of the bigger narrative are they aware of you know the Trump administration and all the and the elections and all this yeah sure uh, you know they're not. Living with their heads in the ground, but that's not their focus. They're out protesting. I mean fundamentally They were been out protesting the Portland Police Bureau uh, and and systemic racism and police brutality in the city and The federal law enforcement officers to the extent they've been a distraction It's because they're now, you know They're the ones intervening and creating the distraction their focus protester demands have remained the same Um, and it's, it's focused very locally
1: well, Margaret in Santa Rosa, join us. Hi, Margaret.
3: Oh, hi. Well, meaning you just made the pretty much the point that I was going to make is that that Everything I hear reported is that every, that things are very peaceful during the day, and when after dark is when people come out and are violent. And I just, it just makes me long for leadership and some way that people could understand. Don't, don't give an excuse. Um, a justification for those troops being there from the person that I won't name, but um, and what's going into that campaign. But but more than that, I just wish that um, I so I can't even talk about it. I so wish people understood that uh, how fruitless that violence is uh, and how it's going to be used. Um,
1: Margaret, uh, thanks.
3: And, and, and I just want to say after. Um, how much it it makes me miss the, the beloved John Lewis and the kind of leadership that is that is efficacious and long lasting. Thank you.
1: Well, Margaret, thanks for sharing that. I'll, I'll let that stand and go to Mark in San Francisco. Hi, Mark.
3: Good morning. Thank you very much for this conversation. Much appreciated. And I really want to thank the note that this is like a two block area. That's the part of media that drives me crazy. My question is this. Uh, and it's sort of a follow-up to the outside instigator question, which is on the, the you know graffiti and violence, whatever we want to call it, um, what, what's non-peaceful protest. Is, is it, in your opinion, just sort of random acts, or is there any kind of organization to it, not necessarily outside forces?
1: Mark, thanks. Rebecca or Jonathan? Just some organized...
2: I mean, I, th- I spoke to a, an activist the other day. It, it's a very decentralized protest movement. There's not, you know, one group or one person leading it. A- an activist I spoke to the other day who's been very present on the ground said, you know, we aren't led by an organization. We are led by principles. And that's, that's their organizing. Uh, that's how they're organized, guided by principles.
1: Well, John asks, I'm wondering at what point protesters decide they've won or not. I mean, what does victory look like at this point? <laughs> Any thoughts for John on that, Rebecca?
0: No, I was just saying, I mean, that's the question I like, I'm thinking about all the time. Is like, what, how does this end? Like yes. what, does the city step up and like meet these demands? Like, like, as Jonathan said, they are still super locally focused and a lot of the calls were for um, doing cuts to the police bureau's budget and they did some of the cuts but they didn't go nearly as far as protesters wanted. So do they step up and meet those demands? Is it once the federal officers leave, um, even though these protests were going on long before? Uh, so I certainly have no answer, but it's definitely it's definitely a question I have.
2: they are also and- not trying. I mean, we haven't heard from city leaders in terms of, we've, we've heard them say they want the feds out, but we haven't heard them say, you know engage with the protesters on the issues that they're actually protesting. So um, it's hard to say how this ends when you don't have leadership actually engaging with the issue.
1: And that's my last question. Actually, Jonathan Levinson is I mean, I understand that uh, Portland's mayor has not necessarily been the person that everybody has loved, even when he's attempted to come out to protests, even with the calls that uh, media has been reporting that he's making. I mean, can you talk about that relationship? Is there some unity there or not? It sounds like you're saying not.
2: I mean, just to build off what Rebecca just said is that the protesters from the beginning talked about 50 million dollars pulled from the police bureau budget. They had a pretty detailed plan, reinvested back into the community. Uh, and they got a fraction of that and it wasn't enough and they kept protesting. and since then, everybodys sort of just thrown up their hands and said, "Well, you know, we don't we're gonna police you now." Um, I think it's notable that after Mayor Wheeler came out to the protests, and said that the tear gas was, you know, an escalation, and then was, was, un, what do you say? It was disproportionate. Uh, like an hour later, Portland police threatened to use, you know, impact munitions and tear gas to disperse the crowd, and he's the police commissioner. So,
1: at this point, have there been any significant policy changes that will contribute to quelling the escalation of violence? You think potentially?
0: Um, I, there's one. There's one big one that should be mentioned, which is. Coming up tomorrow is obviously like every city um, civilian oversight of the police bureau is a huge issue here, and we have a system um, that many people feel is just totally broken and doesn't hold police to account. Um, and we have a vote tomorrow on whether to refer a measure to the November ballot that would totally reshape that system. Um, and that and that is is completely in response to um, the recent protests. So that's one
1: thing. Rebecca Ellis and Jonathan Levinson of Oregon Public Broadcasting. Thanks so much for your reporting on this and for coming on today to give us a more on the ground look at what's going on there. Thank you. Thank you. Stay with us for more Forum. I'm Mina Kim.